welcome back to another episode of Scuttlebutt, the official podcast of the National Museum of the Surface Navy. I'm Marian Fangler, and when we left off, we were talking with Jose Hernandez, one of the riggers of USS Constitution. Jose, Mike Getcher, David Canfield, and me geeking out about ropes and lines and all kinds of good stuff. Let's get back into it. Do you have much experience with Samson braid? Uh, Samson braid? Yeah, sure. We have, we're running three and five eighths diameter um, nominal 400,000 pound MBL mooring lines. They're $8,000 a piece. Mm-hmm. And in the last year, we started to see what I, I believe to be core failure, where they just, you, you keep tightening them and they just start to just. Are, are they, they're 12 strand construction? You know, I don't know. Um, probably single braid. More. Yeah, yeah, single yeah, braid. Yeah, single braid um, or no, yeah. it's double braided. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's double braid stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just looked at the spec because I'm writing it up for one of our potential donors, but um, yeah, it's a double braid. It's, it's what the Navy specified as nylon. Um, yeah. You know, and they, they tend to, to do okay, but we're just seeing now in this last year, you know, this, this kind of stretching where they just kind of keep going, you tighten them up and then you're just, you know, within a day it's already drooping. Uh, and all I can think of, it's a core failure, mm. but I don't really know when I take it apart and look at it, it just looks like it's fine, but there's no question it's failing. It's, yeah. It's pretty wild. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Um, well, I mean, for double braid, the the concept, or even for single braid, the concept is the Chinese finger knot right. uh, thing right. uh, where the, the braid tightens up uh, as it elongates, and um, that creates enough friction to support it. Now, what generally happens with a uh, double braid, if you don't cross stitch it to, to anchor it from not falling out when it's not under tension, because when it's under tension, it should be holding given if you follow the instructions and, you know, you, you leave a left tail buried uh, so that there is enough friction given the specifications of that particular line. Um, you will find that when it's, just laying about, you know, somebody might kick the eye or, or whatever and pull the tail out. And that's what usually happens. So uh, that's why you, after you, you do one of these splices, you will do some cross stitching in it. Some people will even go so far as to clamp on this big old seizing down at the, the crotch of the eye, uh, which is actually superfluous. You, you just don't want it to, to shift. I'm not seeing the eye failure, I don't think. Um, we end up with these Kevlar wraps around the eyes just for, for chafing, but uh, right, sure. uh, yeah. it's, it's kind of odd. You can actually see the the cross section of the of the line starts to it's flatten. flatten. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, it, I can't help but think there's something going on in the core, but uh, what yeah. is, these things are under some tremendous strain. I mean Well, uh, how how old are they? That that could be part of it too. Well, some um, of them are three or four or five years old. And they're, you know, these are mooring lines on a permanently moored vessel. Right. Yeah. The, the Navy specification probably does not take into account a vessel that is moored for a decade. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. They're, right. they're in incidental mooring when you, you know, when you have a carrier pulling into co- into port or when we were underway on the battleship and we pulled into port. I, mean, I can't think of a time where we were in port more than 30 days, 45 days. We were pretty close to being underway last exercised. week. Yeah, we were. <laughs> we were very close to being underway. In fact, I got a call we last really night close. from somebody who was concerned we might be getting underway again. So yeah, we, yeah. We, had, we were translating four and a half, at least 15 feet, yeah. I'd say, at least uh, full degree, one degree rolls. 
which is crazy, you know, 45,000 wow. ton vessel. By the way, that, that email from Joe Sinkowitz, <laughs> the, the highest recorded wave in San Pedro in 25 years or 24 years. Oh, wow. Great. 35 wow. offshore, 35 wow. foot. Yeah. Aside from oh. the tremendous amount of damage it was doing to the pier and to the mooring lines and to the gangways, I was sitting in my office and uh, felt pretty good, actually. <laughs> well, I've been saying since I got here, I was curious what she felt like underway. And now I have a little bit of an idea of it. <laughs> I was standing, I was standing by the afterbrow, just, you know, kind of focused on the pier and watching the pier slip away about 15 feet. Mm-hmm. And it very much felt like that first moment when you slip the final line and get underway. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, it shouldn't feel that way. <laughs> You know, I think it's it's easy, and I talk about this with staff, uh, for us to kind of get semi-complacent. Or I, I certainly don't because I'm always losing sleep over stuff like this. But, you know, you, you just come aboard the ship every day and it's no big deal. Hey, she's tied up. It's fine. Yeah, but no. the reality is that she's a 45,000 ton vessel moored, uh, soft moored, as I call it, in the, the main channel of one of the busiest ports in the world. And uh, there, there are conditions here which will, in fact, break things. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Yeah, and like yeah. when the row rows and the cruise ships and stuff go by, she wants to go with them. Yeah, we we basically came within minutes or at least 30 minutes of calling a tugboat on last Thursday night. Yeah. You know, just to, to kind of calm her down. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it yeah. gets exciting here once in a while. Right. Well, and, and back to the material, I mean, nylon is, uh, is a good source because you want something springy. You don't want something that doesn't have any stretch on it because uh, that yeah. would just, uh, cause other elements of uh, like cleats and stuff to fail. Yeah. Things this that, is, it's that giant vectored force problem. Again, you'll begin taking bits of the pier with you. Right? Well, <laughs> that's actually really important for a couple of reasons, but we, we often receive, you know, speaking of that earlier comment I made about um, nobody knows that we know what we know. Um I have all kinds of experts tell me, oh, we should just put chains on her. It's like, no, I'm going to start ripping bits and bollards off. That's all there is to it. You know, the the bits are designed for ropes up on the ship. They're the the second largest bit in the U.S. Navy inventory ever. I think they're 21 or 22 inch bits. Um, And the bollards on the dock, many of them are only 50 ton bollards. I mean, our lines are are, uh, tougher than our bollards are. Uh, so we have a 13 or 14 right now, uh, 14, we have 14 we got the headline on right now, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting problem and I have to follow largely the, the Navy, uh, design, you know, of how, uh, they set up the mooring system. So anyways, we're, we're obviously fine here, but it's, it's, a it's a it challenge. Was an interesting evening. Yeah. It's, 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 it's pretty scary. If you're a real mariner and you're not ignorant, I'm not. Yeah, and you see forty five thousand tons move, and you start getting a little nervous. Yeah, there's a lot of power. There's just so much momentum. Yes, uh, the mass of that thing. Yeah, um, bringing the thing back around to like say standing rigging in, in issues of you've got, um, let's say you've got wire rope standing rigging, and you've got a dead eyes and lanyard situation uh dead eyes and lanyards are really good in the sense that they're the weak link in the chain there of failure so uh if you need to cut the the rigging away under you know dire situations you can cut it away and um as opposed to you know you've got turnbuckles or whatnot that's going to take you a little longer to get rid of but just determining what's the strongest uh, element in that chain of connection, say, 
are you ripping chain plates out of the ship or um you know are you breaking masts or you know it'd be favorable to what's the know. least worst case scenario exactly you know you where's where's the damage going to happen and you want to minimize that you know you always have to think of that stuff ahead of time that's why when things are built they're always built with a safety factor uh because things are going to happen well it's always interesting mariners we all know that yes indeed yeah, indeed Things are going to happen. You haven't had a thing happen. You're not technically a mariner yet. <laughs> right. And and the thing is, you can do everything right and still have things happen. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, it's not necessarily skill. It's sometimes it's just luck. You know. You know. It always amazes me too because you you would send me pictures and stuff while you guys were working, and you'd be up there in like a man lift or on a crane or whatever to to work with the rigging and you hear about them just replacing it in the middle of a battle or an engagement, you know, like in the time it took them to like come around for another pass, they'd like drop a gallant mass or to gallant yard and send another one up. Like what? That's what I wanted to comment yeah. on. I, I'm reading six frigates right now, which is the story of the beginning of the U S Navy. Yeah. And it's yeah. An extraordinary story in a, in a couple of levels. One of it, I got to admit is the politics. Yeah. The, the politics was easily, amazing. Easily is, is, horrific as they are now yeah you know the, the disagreement and i mean we've learned nothing in 250 yes exactly years. so <laughs> no, but, I agree. Yeah. But, but the the stories of, of the maritime stories are phenomenal yeah. you know and uh you know the constitution of course i've walked her decks i've been down to the keel um you know just it, it's amazing to be able to stand on that even though you know in the classic sense of i have my dad's hammer i replaced the head twice and yeah. the, the hammer or the handle three times there's a lot of her that's not original, but still, she's still there. Uh, mm -hmm. and it's just amazing. And, and that's really where our heritage now, or our, I'm sorry, where our focus is now as a museum, is the National Museum of the Surface Navy. The origins of that are, in fact, the Constitution and the other five frigates. Yes. Uh, and it's wonderful to, to be able to connect that and find out that there's still people working on these things and, and doing what, what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that was a great joy to me. Uh, while I was working on her, aside from the rigging, which was uh, a lot of fun, it, it was a dream job. You know, one one of the my fellow riggers uh, asked, "So Jose, what what would your dream job be? You know, if you you could do anything in the world?" I'm like, "Dan, I'm doing it." Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like, "No, really." I'm like, "No, really." This is yeah. yeah um, I started I started to say that when we started the podcast and you introduced what you were doing. It is a wonderful thing to be able to work where your passion is. Yes, uh, yes. It it also can destroy your work life balance if you're not careful oh, because you're passionate so about it and you and your head's so down on it. But I think a lot of the people on this podcast uh, are finally landing, you know, working where their passion is, and that's a beautiful thing. It's like Joseph Campbell said, "Follow your bliss." Yeah. yeah. Oh, Joseph. And my iconography. My my boss when uh, when I left Google, which was my former employer, I told him I was going to go to work for the museum. He looked at me and he said, "You know, I hate to see you go, but." follow your dreams. Cause if you're not following your dreams, you're helping somebody else follow theirs. Well, you know, my boss at the lab uh, allowed for me to, to segue into rigging because he would give me those half days, you know, I, I'd, I'd come, you know, back to the lab and, and finish, uh, you know, do a full day's work after, but um, you know, let it, it really helped me get my foot in the door uh, and, and do it professionally. Yeah, that's but, kind of how I started too. Just you yeah. go step into that and take that part-time intermittent temporary job. And so much is the the yeah. drive of curiosity and just reaching out and saying, "Hey, 
you know, you might not even be paid at first, but your curiosity drives you to go learn it. And then sometimes you end up learning it to the point where you can get paid for it. Yeah. And that's actually a really great way to start. I find like well, starting a, at the bottom it, is brilliant. Yep. It's a great lesson for people to take away too. If you're interested in doing something, stop looking at what can't be done and start looking at what can be done. Always phrase your conversation on what can be done. Go ask a question, go get involved, you know, volunteer, see if you can get paid for it. Um, but don't take no for an answer. Just, you know, be persistent and chase your dream. Well, my attitude has always been try to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the other thing I wanted to touch on before we're out of time, we keep coming back to the beauty that is in that rigging uh, on Constitution, and it is functional. I mean, she was a warship. She was not there just to look pretty. She was there to be functional and, and had a great reputation for doing so. Uh, but I'm always reminded <clears throat> when I go like aboard the Olympia and you go down into the engineering spaces on the Olympia and you see the care and the the artwork and artistry that is in something as simple as piping, steam piping, or the valve work, or the the beauty that is in the in the castings. And I'm always reminded of uh, one of my favorite quotes that sits on on the wall of my office on the ship. To quote by Gustav Eiffel, that says, um, "Must we assume that because we are engineers, beauty is not our concern, and that we tried to make our constructions robust, we do not also strive to make them elegant." Yeah. That's I wanted to come back to that too because you know functionality is wonderful, but the art is is absolutely critical. And well, I, I've definitely been in some engine rooms where everything is uh, running hither and thither, as opposed to you see other ones that are so well organized. And again, with the piping or or electrical wiring and and uh, <laughs> how it's easy to follow. And you know, again, going back to if you're in a situation and you need to troubleshoot something you know, say in a seaway, <laughs> it's a lot easier, you know, it, it, it's a lot faster. You'll find the solution faster by having uh, an orderly uh, arrangement of uh, components. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a place. Well, this place will drive you nuts because there's a lot of hither and dither. <laughs> but there's a lot of beauty too. Yes, there is beauty. I, I very much agree. But it's in fact that the switchboards will just blow them. They still, blow oh, yeah. away. I mean, I really am impressed. But she's been modified so much. There's a lot going on. I always laugh at the uh, down in the HT shop. There's this beautiful workbench, which was stamped ah. all the people who were in Tokyo Bay when uh, when the Japanese surrender occurred. And there's this beautiful chain, you know, that has been stamped into there with all the names. And then next to it, stamped into it are the names of the people that were there for the dedication of the uh, Statue of Liberty in the 80s when they did the, the centennial um, and then the decommissioning and you look at it and you're like, these are my shipmates. I want to, I very much want to be proud of them. Uh, they just didn't have the craftsmanship of the people that were doing that during World War II. They simply, there's no comparison. When you look at the two of them side by side, you're like, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> you know? Well, one of the things, um, bringing that back. Uh, so one of my mentors uh, was, his name was Joe Sones. He, uh, he was a rigger for the Navy, um, um, as I was in terms of, uh, I was a, a civilian employee of the Navy, as he was, but he retired as a master rigger from at Long Beach Naval Shipyard. But he got his start at Mare Island as well in 1941. Wow. Yeah, so he was, but um, you were talking about the craftsmanship. And um, so interestingly enough, we have, I have, 
his old serving mallet, which is, um, uh, for those who don't know, a serving mallet in, in the old traditional uh, way where you would have a rope rig, you would, uh, or even with modern wire, uh, when you want to keep the elements out or do chafe protection, you will wrap the wire or the rope with marlin. First, you you know, they call it worm, parcel, and serve. You would worm, worm the parcel with the way, turn and serve the other way. Exactly. <laughs> then you, you know, you would put the parceling, which would be canvas. And then you would take the marlin, which is a um, hemp, two strand hemp cord. And then you'd wrap it around very tightly and then tar that. And then, but so with a serving and that's called serving. And so you have put a, the serving mallet uh, that he had, the pattern makers at the shipyard had made this for him. And you look at the construction there. So there's a spool on it and two wheels on the spool, the construction, it's not like one piece of wood or a piece of plywood or anything like that. It's, it's each one of those um, sides of the spool is three layers thick of multiple, you know, six um, arcs, if you will, uh, coming together all, all, um, it, it's just a thing of beauty to see that kind of craftsmanship on something so simple. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I cherish it. I use it often. I use Joe's Joe passed away some time ago now, but he uh, I, I use his tools almost on a daily basis. Uh, love to see a picture of that. That'd be cool. I love yeah. tools. I'm a tool guy. Yeah. Well, they when I was mm. I was hoping to do this from the shop, and is that was all hanging on the wall behind yeah. me. Mm -hmm. but unfortunately, technology doesn't let us do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can send me some photos, and I'll put them in the in the video version of this. I will. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, God, we could go on for hours here, but this has been wonderful. Thank you, Jose, so much for being here. It's been a well. This is a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy talking to you guys, and we could definitely go on talking for hours. Uh, yeah, we'll do this again. We'll have you back. Well, yeah, if you get out here, we'd love to get you up on the mast and you know tie some knots or something. Yeah, you know, you come back and we'll take you everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I need to do a, a full a full um, tour of the boat. Yeah. Minute some time ago and i never got a chance to before i left la so cool well we know a couple of people that might be able to help you out with that so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining us on this latest episode of scuttlebutt the, the uh official podcast of the national museum of the surface navy uh jose joined us today we love the preservation of history that's what we're all about connecting the past with the future and uh, seeing how those things still connect and are relevant today if you have uh, ideas for podcasts or topics or questions, comments, uh, send them to podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, podcast at labattleship.com or podcast, as I like to say, at labattleship.com. We will uh, be glad to hear from you and put those in effect. Thanks for joining us and be sure to tune in next time for another exciting episode of Scuttlebutt. Mm -hmm.